Will you turn to the scriptures, please? Philippians chapter 3. Again, this is part two, but we're going further on. Uh, you really, last week would help you if you had uh, listened or been here, and, but you don't necessarily need to have it to understand where we're coming from in God's word uh, this morning. Philippians chapter 3, you keep the chapter open, please. And we're going to read just two verses, verses 13 and 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know, the Lord will add the blessing to the reading of his own inspired word. Let's just bow again the word of prayer. Father, settle us in your presence, even in our seats. We ask you, God, that you'd take your own word and that you would inscribe it upon our hearts and imprint it upon every mind. Transform us, Lord. Transform us according to thy word. For, Lord, thy word is truth. We ask it in the name of your wonderful Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We looked last week, uh, part one of the title, The Past, the Present, and the Praise. And as we looked, we thought of how, even in Paul writing here in Philippians chapter 3, we looked at the lusts of the flesh, now, why did we do that? Because Paul, I believe, is heading somewhere here. We tend to read these two verses at New Year's Eve meetings, if you have a New Year's Eve meeting. We tend to have them read at times when we're looking to go on and not, we're not looking back. And that's okay. I'm not saying anything against that. But I believe there's a deeper meaning in this and there's more for you and I as the body of Christ, as believers in the Lord Jesus. That even here, as Paul is saying this, he's in a run, as a, like a runway into these two verses to encourage the church to go on in God. And not only to go on in God, but to live for God. And not only to live for God, but to be victorious through Him. And not only be victorious through Him, but to go on well with Him, that others might see Christ in us. Notice this, brothers and sisters. We spoke last week of the filthiness of the flesh, the infirmity of the flesh. We spoke of the sins of the flesh. And the reason being is because, we'll, God willing, we'll go into this now and show you why. Because you and I, as human beings, we are failing God all the time. Thank God for His grace. Thank God for His grace. The first one of us who says, I am perfected, are not living according to Scripture. We cannot until Christ returns be sinless. But until Christ returns, we can sin less. I want to say it again. We cannot until Christ returns be sinless. But we can until Christ returns sin less. Sanctified by the Spirit. 
set apart for God, living to glorify Christ. This is the idea Paul's saying, live this life for him. I keep failing him. Let's learn from our mistakes and move on. Let's learn from where we are going wrong and put it to right. To the best of our ability and live in the grace that he affords us every single day. Now notice this. We didn't just look at how sins and of the flesh and lusts of the flesh and filthiness of the flesh, how it's just about things we do. It's more than things we do. It's more than yielding to the flesh, i.e., when I say that, to the sins and the desires and that lusts that men and women do out in the world. It's, it's more than that. It's the fleshy mind, the mind that tells us that makes us doubt that God even exists. Yielding to those things that cause us to doubt his grace. That cause you and I to doubt whether he loves us or not. Whether he exists, loves us, and will bless us or not. The fleshy mind wars against the mind of the Spirit in everything. Does God still want to move? Does God still heal? Does God still answer prayer? Does God do this, that, and the other when we're told that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever? You see, our minds, our fleshy minds, not only bring us to sin when we allow it, but bring us to sin in disbelief and in unbelief. And then there is the filthiness of the flesh where we sin against God trying to be religious religious. And what I mean by being religious is this, is that men and women tend to think that they can achieve to be like God. Or they can at least try to appease God through their works and their alms and their deeds and their rituals and their sacrifices and their pilgrimages and their, be- their beads and all these other things that men and women like to add on just in case the blood of Christ is not enough. That's sinfulness. It's the lust of our flesh thinking we want to participate in our salvation. We want to add to the cross work of Christ. We we believe in the cross. Oh yes, we believe, but we think we must do, do, do to be saved, saved, saved. The Bible tells us it is, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, on that day, when we all stand before the bema or the judgment seat of Christ, not the great white throne judgment of the saved man, the bema seat of Christ, to give an account every one of us. This is what Paul is speaking about in Philippians 3. Not about New Year's Eve or Old Year's Night, whatever you want to call it. Paul is speaking about running a race, for there's a prize ahead. And he's saying, our flesh, our old man, our old woman, with the world we live in, keeps us back. You have a threefold enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, if the devil dropped dead, and the world got saved, you've still got an enemy every morning when you look in the mirror, yourself. And sometimes Christians, they feel that, well, I can't go on in God. There's no more grace for me. 
How have I failed you, Lord, so much there's no more love for me? Surely, even your blood still does not cleanse me from everything I fail you in. They tend to fall away from God because of it. They tend to hide away from God. They tend to run away. They tend to, as it were, shirk their responsibilities in God to come and say, Lord, I believe that your blood was more than enough. Repentance, yes, and believing that you've sinned and failed, yes, but to get up and go on in the race and say, Lord, I'm still carrying on because I know you love me, not because of me, but in spite of me. You sent your son. Too many Christians fall away because they feel, is there any mercy left for me? Here we find the lusts of the flesh are all of these things. Let me say it again, brother, sister, and I'm not trying to offend, for I apply it to my own self first and mostly. Do you see this man, this man who I am, without Christ, I'm nothing. I can do nothing. I can achieve nothing. And the moment we think we can add to something add something to what Christ has done, we find that we have sinned before him, for we're proclaiming that the blood of Jesus was not enough. I believe in the power of the blood. I believe when he shed his blood for me, he paid for all my debt. Brothers and sisters, we looked at this high Satisfying the flesh, as Paul calls it in Colossians 2 and 23. He's speaking here of a verse, in this verse, of self-imposed religion. It is man trying to reach perfection and trying to justify himself. It is self-righteousness, works of man reaching to God when all the time it's the grace of God coming to man. So Philippians chapter 3, if we can look at it for a moment, and let's read a few verses here. Paul speaks, he says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. No confidence. Dear, help us if we're putting confidence in our flesh. If you're putting confidence in anybody else's flesh, we have no confidence in the flesh. Paul then goes into a whole spiel here of who he is, his flesh. He says, and even though I'm circumcised in the flesh, now I've come to know Christ. I'm circumcised in the spirit. And he's saying, even my racial flesh, racial flesh cannot save you. And he says this, and he says, I worship God in my spirit. I have no confidence in my flesh, verse 4, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh, I more. He says, if you think your flesh is good, capable and able, 
says, then I have even more to shout about than you. Yet I'm saying my flesh, the total depravity of my flesh means I'm lost. Total depravity of my flesh means I'm saved forever. Or I'm lost forever, pardon me. Notice this. Though I might have also confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. The Hebrew of the Hebrews is touching the law of Pharisee, concerning seal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law of blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. The idea here isn't Paul is saying, I'm trying to win him. See, Paul's doing works. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that Christ in me, I'm saved by grace. I'm circumcised in the heart. I worship God in the Spirit. Yes, he says, I have a whole liturgy of things that I could bring forward of my calling from the seed of Abraham, but without Christ, oh, I want to be more like him. That's what Paul's saying. It's not he's winning Christ. Christ has already won him and bought him. Oh, that Christ may have the preeminence in my life. That Christ might have the preeminence in all that I have. That Christ may have the preeminence in all that I do. Notice this. That I may win Christ, first name, and be found in him. And be found in him. Here Paul says that I want to win the Lord Jesus. I want to be like him. I want to be found in him. And you see, all those who are around, whether... He was preaching to those of an Israelite background or a Jewish background or to a heathen background or whoever it was. He said, listen, I have much to boast about from the covenant of Abraham. But even I, he says, must enter in through the blood of the cross. Paul wants to know him. He says in verse 10, look at this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So he wants to gain Christ. He wants to know Christ. He wants to be found in Christ. Paul says, but what things, verse 7, what things were gained to me I counted loss for Christ. The word gain here is the word kurdos, and it means advantage. The things that were advantage to me from my teaching, sitting under the feet and the teaching of Gamaliel, one of the most respected Jewish leaders, teachers of the day. He says, that teaching, he says, from the tribe of Benjamin, the stock of Israel, he says, these were all gain to me. But without Christ, he says, I'm nothing. You see, the problem is, brothers and sisters, with many today is they don't realize how lost they are without him. Many people don't realize how destitute their life is without him, how hopeless of of eternal bliss in heaven, uh, in the kingdom of God, 
how hopeless they are without him. People think because they belong to a denomination, well, we're okay, we'll live how we like. Or because we, uh, we have grown up a certain way. Some people think because we've grown up in a, we're, whatever way their parents have taught them, have been christened as a baby and all this sort of stuff. Listen, Paul says he wanted to win, to be found in, and to know Christ. Listen to Puritan Samuel Rutherford. He says, they lose nothing who gain Christ. They lose nothing who gain Christ. Do you know what that tells me? That tells me that when people come and say, I gave up all this for Jesus, dear help you. He gave up heaven for you. And every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of light with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, saith the Scripture. Everything we have is from him. Everything we own is from him. Everything we possess is because he has given it to us. I dare we offer him the work of our hands as though, well, Aren't you blessed, Jesus, I'm here? It is our duty. It is our duty to worship. It is our duty to give thanks and glory to him. Notice this, brothers and sisters. This is vitally important this morning. Paul says, those that were gain or advantage to me, I counted loss. For Christ. The word when he says that I may win Christ is the exact word here for gain. Those things I were gained to me. Paul is saying I would win Christ. The same word is used in the Greek New Testament. So it's that, that I may be advantaged in Christ. I think of people living without the Lord in their lives. I think of people struggling without God in their lives. I think of people facing death and getting into eternity without the Lord in their lives. I think of people who are mourning the death of a loved one without the Lord in their lives or facing an illness without the Lord in their lives or whatever, wakening up in the morning without the Lord in their life. Oh, but every morning you open your eyes, you're advantaged. You're advantaged because you have Christ. Doesn't matter who has what. Doesn't matter who does what. If you've got Christ... If I have Jesus, Jesus only, I possess a cluster rare. Here we find Paul, and he says, What things were gain or advantage to me, I counted loss for Christ. Listen to Alexander Gross, he's another Puritan. He says, When Christ reveals himself, there is satisfaction in the slenderest portion. And without Christ, there is emptiness in the greatest fullness. Isn't that true, all of you who have come to know him? That just one word from the scripture, just one encouragement at a time of need, just one glimmer from the glory of Jesus, 
Oh, the slenderest portion of him is enough to satisfy. But yet without him, the vacancy and the void cannot be filled with all this world of force. Cannot be filled with all the lusts of our flesh, and the religious lusts of our flesh, the filthiness that we have in flesh and in, in our mind and in our body, and in our religious works. So Paul says, I want to win him, be found in him. Notice verse 9, be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. Paul saying, oh, when I stand that day, there's nothing in me. Jesus, I was a Pharisee. That's even worse. Oh, uh, Jesus, I, I, I was at the, the temple or I sat in the synagogue. Jesus, I, I came to CET church every Sunday morning. I even went some Sunday nights. I belong to this denomination or that church. And, and that day, you see, what we're doing is we're, we're giving him our fleshy works. Look what I've done. Here we are. Cain's offering. The works of my hands, the fruit of the field. Look at that there, Lord. Isn't that great? See how hard I've worked, sweat, and labored. And he says, I want you to come by the blood of the Lamb. You can only come by the blood of the Lamb, he says. And the righteousness of him, the Lord Jesus Christ, who kept the law that you and I cannot keep, is placed on us when we are at the foot of the cross. Paul says, I have no righteousness of my own, which is off the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, or if you want, the faith which Christ has kindled in me. What Paul is saying even again, how dead he is before God arrests him on that Damascus road. Remember, we saw the light comes and the voice, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he falls back, remember? Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus, and thou persecutest. You see, God arrested him. Friend, you see, if God is speaking to your heart, he'll arrest your heart. I hear it all the time. Oh, and I see it in different places and in different meetings and whether it's watching different Christian channels. I don't really watch them, but if, if we're ever on, and who wants to who wants come up the front and we all start to listen? I have nothing wrong with prayer lines and for people to pray. I have done it. I have nothing saying against it. But the next day, the next week, they're unsaved again, as it were, and they come back up again the next week, and then they're up at the next meeting, and then they're up at the next meeting, because according to them, they keep losing their salvation. And because they haven't been right, they have stopped the race and said, well, I'll just have to sit here until I get it right with God the next meeting. And that's nonsense. When God saves you, he keeps you. He arrests the heart of man. He arrests the heart of a woman. And even though your waywardness and your feelings, he holds on to you in spite of you and not because of you. Keep running the race, brother. Keep running the race, sister. The faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Listen, 
In Philippians 3 and verse 10, Paul says that I may know him. Ah, now, this is where the rubber hits the road. Christian, you ready? That I may know him. Well, I got saved. I knew Jesus. Right, okay. You met him. But now, do you know him? It's a difference. Let me give you an example here. Paul says that I may know him. The word know here means to know by experience, to absolutely know him. It means to know intimately as a husband would know his wife. Paul is saying, oh, this Christ, this Jesus, oh, that I would know him. I want to know him. You see, we, we tend to have the toe-dipping Christianity. We come so far and our foot is dipped in the water of Christ and all that he is. That little toe is dipped in and we say, oh, yeah, that's enough. But if I go down another one, I'm going a little too deep now, you know. <laughs> oh, listen, plunge right in. Go to the waters that you cannot swim in and come to know Christ. Come to know him. Paul says that I may know him. Let, let me give you a couple of examples of this word know. Matthew 1, 25. This is how intimate Paul says he wants to be with the Lord. Matthew 1, 25, it says of, of Joseph with Mary. It says of Joseph, and he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. The word knew is the same word Paul says, I may know him. The idea is Joseph did not know Mary. She was a virgin. Did not know her until she brought forth Jesus. So the perpetual virginity of Mary that is espoused by the Roman Catholic Church is false. He had brothers and sisters after him. Now listen, the word know is as Joseph would know Mary, consummate the marriage. Let me show you another one, Matthew 7 and verse 23. The Lord says of those who say, Lord, did we not cast out devils and do these miracles in your name and so on and so on? We all know that the scripture. Listen to what Jesus says. Matthew 7, 23, many will say, Lord, Lord, exactly. Then he says, and then I will profess to them. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Jesus is going to say to certain people, I didn't know you. You say, ah, oh, but Jesus is God and he knows everyone. As God, yes, he does. Yes, he does. But it's knowing in the intimate manner, walking, talking, fellowshipping with Christ every day. Being intimate with him. Brother, can I ask you a question? Sister, have you been intimate with Jesus? Are you intimate with Jesus? Are you aware when you can't find him, as it were? Are you intimate with him? Listen, Matthew 5, pardon me, Mark 5 and verse 29. Remember the woman with the issue of blood and she touched the hem of his garment? It says, And straightway 
the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. See the word felt in her body. The idea is she was so acquainted with her illness. Now get this. Some of us are so acquainted with our illness because it's there. And it starts to overtake us. See, that's the flesh again. She's so acquainted with it, but the day in faith she reached out and touched the hem of his garment, she was healed from that day. She felt in her body. You know what the idea is? It's the same word for no. She was so acquainted with it, she knew the Lord had done a work. How close she got to him. And listen, Luke's account, Luke 8 and verse 46 says, And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. The word here, somebody hath touched me, I have perceived. Perceived is the same word. She was so close to Christ that she knew her body was changed. He was so close to the touch of the woman. He knew that strength had left him. Brothers and sisters, there's somewhere here in the church that we are not getting this. There's something wrong. There's nothing wrong with the Word, and there's nothing wrong with the Lord. There's something wrong with us, but we aren't getting it. Talk about me, all of us. We're not getting it. We're losing out somewhere that we might know Him. That God would be glorified in all that we are. So they might know him in the power of his resurrection. Paul wants to know the power of his resurrection. Now I believe that we're getting closer to the idea of Paul in chapter 3 verses 13 and 14 here. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What prize, Paul? Well, Christ is our prize. Yes, absolutely. But Paul is looking at more than that. He wants to know the power of the resurrection. Christ's resurrection. The word power is the word dynamis, where we get dynamite from. I want to know this dynamite power that raised him from the dead, he says. And so then, because of this, he says, this one thing I do, or as the original would read it, you'll notice in your uh, ticket you're reading the authorized version, the proper version of the scriptures. I take it you're reading it. You'll notice that in the authorized version, some are in italics. And that's to help our reading of the flow of the Scripture. Here, Paul says, one thing I do. But this is the way the original reads. But one thing. But one thing. Forgetting those things which are behind. The word forgetting means completely forgetting. Completely forgetting. Paul actually here now is given the idea of a runner and the Greek runner in a race, and as he's running, he's aware there's other runners with him. He's aware there's runners coming up behind him. He's giving this picture here for you and I to grasp hold of, and he's hearing the pounding and the thudding of the runner's feet behind him. It's getting closer and closer, and what's the natural thing to do is to start to look around to see where the other runners are. Paul's saying, stop looking back! but I can hear their thudding. I can hear their feet. They're getting closer. Maybe they'll overtake me. Paul says, never mind everyone else. Keep on running. Keep running. You know what's wrong? we 
are too concerned about everybody else. Dear helpers, I have enough trying to keep myself on the road. He says, don't get distracted, but focus on breasting the tape at the end of the race. He says, there's all run, but one wins the prize. Now, that doesn't mean there's only one prize. The idea is keep running. Make sure you come in first. Keep running. Keep going on with God. He says, forgetting those things which are behind. And this is what I've written. Too many believers have lost the art of forgetting. Many forget those things which they shouldn't forget. And then don't forget that which they should forget. You know, sometimes it's easy to, and it's natural that, you know, if you were to wash a great, big, brilliant white sheet and I hung it up here, you say, look at the brilliance of the whiteness of that sheet. It's perfect, it's pure. But if you come in, there was one little dot right in the corner of it. Your eye would go immediately just to that dot, zoom in on that dot. wouldn't find anywhere else to go. Look at that lovely white sheet. Isn't it ruined by that dot? Oh, such is the life of the believer. We forget about all the brilliance. We focus on the negative. We focus on the black dot. We can't forget it. We can't let it go. Forgetting those things which are behind. Forgetting failures, because that will hold you back. The thudding of runner's feet of failure. I've let them down. Listen, okay, you've let them down. Get over it. Come to him and say, Lord, I'm sorry, and get in the race. I've failed him. Some who have failed you, and others you have failed. If you cannot change it and help it, then get in and go on. Heartaches, discouragements, disillusionments, disappointments, your hopes, your fears have been dodged. He says, forget it and go on in God. See, brothers and sisters, if you don't, it'll pull you down. It'll hold you back. Listen to the great scholar Kenneth Woist. And forgetting, he says, as long as the Christian has made things right with God and man, he should completely forget the past. Don't let anyone bring up your past when it's under the blood of Christ. I'm going to say it again, because it surprised you whenever you're a pastor and the people and the problems and the, and the insecurities that people have or the problems that they come with. And I'm not saying that in a, in a belittling way. They, they tend to forget that their past is under the blood. You've repented of your past and you're a born-again Christian. You forget about your past. You're in the race and run for Christ. Don't lose the race because of the sound of the past's thudding feet. Don't miss the prize through carrying the excess weight and baggage of past failures and wrongs and hurts. Don't look back as it may cause you to stumble and to fall to even stop. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Notice forgetting, reaching. Notice that? Forgetting, 
reaching. I'm going to do it again. I want you to get it into you. I want you to forget things and reach forward. We're going on and gone. Things which are behind, reaching forth for the things which are before. Remember Lot's wife, Jesus said. She turned back and she looked at Sodom. In fact, if you read uh, the account of it in the book of Genesis, do you know what it says? It says that she was behind Lot, nor she lingered, and then she looked. She started to slow down, hankering for the world, hankering for Sodom. Just turned to a pillar of salt. Don't linger and don't look back. Go on in God. I'm trying to bring this to a close because there's so much here and I don't want to have to do a third morning on it. So bear with me for another few minutes and we'll close. In the book of Exodus chapter 16, listen to what it says of Israel in the wilderness. It says, they said, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the flesh pots and when did eat bread to the full, for you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. <laughs> Moses, what have you done? A jar be in Egypt. Remember the bread. Oh, do you remember all the food there? Yeah. Do you remember your slavery? Remember what the world done to you? Remember what its vices done to you? Oh, we forget. And we look back, Numbers 11 and verse 5. Listen to what they say. We remember the fish which we did eat in, in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Sounds nice. But you see, the devil will always show you the wonderful side of things, the sugar-coated poison. Do you remember it, they said? Do you remember it? Now we're starving here. What have we got? Angel's food. God's supply. Oh, friend, let's live in angel's food and God's supply and forget the things of the world. You see, do you know what the problem is? It's easier to take Israel out of Egypt than it is to get Egypt out of Israel. It's easier. Ten plagues and he brings them out through miracles. Divine signs and wonders through the Red Sea. That was easier, bringing Israel out of Egypt, than it was in the wilderness to get Egypt out of Israel. Oh, God says, see the flesh. Forget all those things. Come on, press on. You know why? There's a promised land ahead. There's a promised land. There's a kingdom of God. There's a race to be run. There's a prize to lay hold on. Why is it that people tend to hanker after lust and desire intensely and crave after that which is past? We tend to hold on to the romanticized hellish past all because we don't have the vision. We don't have the faith and the courage to let go and reach into the blessing of the future of God's promised land. You see, they could see the way back to Egypt, but they couldn't see the promised land yet. And we can't see it. Say, well, at least we know that way. Ask Peter, he says, I go fishing. That night, he caught nothing. He says to Jesus, to whom else would we go? To whom else? For thou hast the words of eternal life, Jesus. Don't rob yourself of today's blessing, brother, sister. Or of a promised future by looking back. So I'll finish with this. Paul says, I press toward the mark. 
It means speed on earnestly. I'm going to speed on earnestly. And the mark gives the idea like a target, an archer drawing a bow, and he fires at a certain target. Here, Paul says, I have the target. You see, without a vision, the people perish. And I'll tell you some brothers and sisters, we're going to get the date coming up soon, I promise you, and we're going to have a day here where we're going to be sharing the vision of CET to make sure we have somewhere we know we're going for the glory of God. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This is not Paul is pressing to go into ministry, by the way. No, he's called into that. This means from heaven to heaven or from heaven into the kingdom. God's called me for his labor. The prize, let me tell you as I close this, what I believe the prize really is. I believe the prize is the resurrection of the dead. When Paul writes throughout his letters, this mortal shall put on immortality. This corruptible shall put on incorruption. When Paul writes that we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye when Christ returns. You see, it's then we'll become sinless and faith will give way to sight for we'll lay our eyes on the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And there'll be no aches and pains and there'll be no lust, lust of the flesh, of the mind or of religion for we shall be like him and we will serve him forever and forever and ever. And the praise of Stephanos crying is the laurel wreath as though they're running in the games. It's that which comes to the reward of those who have labored on in Christ. Brother, sister, don't you turn back and lose your reward. I didn't say salvation, I lose your reward. Don't lose your reward. Press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That's the prize. When he returns, we're going to be changed. And I believe, I'll, I'll teach on it more, my own personal belief is there's going to be even levels of government in the kingdom. Everybody thinks we're going to be running around with halos and harps and floating in clouds and playing, playing away to the Lord. To the Lord, no, you're just singing forever and ever and ever around a big, well, a big throng around the throne. Come off it. Come on. We may do those things. But I'll tell you, We'll serve him. And I believe there's level of government authority to be had in the kingdom of God. Paul wants a better resurrection, to be caught up in a cohort. But that's another story for another day. God bless you. God bless his word.